0: morning. I feel like I've said that already. If You're joining us for the first time or perhaps you're here for the first time in a long time. We are thrilled that you are here with us and we invite you to join us in our sermon series going verse by verse through the book of Galatians and today we're going to pick up beginning in verse six. This is God's word and all of us should hear it and receive it as such. Galatians 3, beginning in verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, And Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's pray. Oh, our Heavenly Father, Our gracious God, we come to you this morning that you would once again speak to us. Lord, we know that there are many authors that you used over many centuries to draw together and compile your word to us. But Father, we ask this morning that we would hear your voice, your message. In a singular way. One of the great testimonies of our scripture, O oh Lord, is that the many formed one consistently, perfectly, inerrantly, infallibly. Lord, we throw a lot of descriptive words. But the main point is that you love your people and that you want us to know you. So come. Come and speak to us, teach us that we might be true disciples, students who listen to the master, hear the instruction, believe what is true, and live by the power of your enabling spirit. Live as you have called us to. So come, Lord, teach us your gospel afresh today, renew us. Restore us, transform us. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. And all God's people agree. Amen. Fathers and sons. When we say, "Father, God," we speak in an intimate form. Yes? We talk directly to one who provides one who gives one who protects one who secures in this life our own fathers fail that standard and there are times where when we talk about God as father it's hard because some of us know really bad fathers Fathers who did the opposite of their charge, who destroyed the beauty of what God had given. But may that be a reminder of our need for our Heavenly Father, who alone is perfect in all ways. Fathers and sons. When we think of sons... Sometimes we think of the glorious achievements, perhaps in athletics or music. Sometimes when we think about sons, we think of them as a spitting image of their father. But so too, just as there are fathers who mar the calling, the status, so too there are sons who break the relationship, who rebel who create insurrection in the home. Why am I talking about fathers and sons? It's not the masters. Every April, you seem to see a golf tournament where fathers and sons get real emotional with each other. It's it's weird as a non-golfer to watch. But if you know anybody who lives in that golfing world, something about Augusta, Draws that out. Oh, I just love my dad. Okay, but like you hated him yesterday. I know. All right. I just love my son. What are you talking about? He like wrote you off, stole all your money, and, 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 and. Why am I talking about fathers and sons? Because Paul has been in the first five verses of this chapter been arguing from the Christian experience of the people in those Galatian churches. He's been arguing about what God has done, what they have seen and known, and and how dangerous it is that they're flirting with throwing it all away, turning their back on all that they've seen, all that they've known, all that they've experienced, whether temporarily or it was never real to them in the first place. But he's writing to the churches where believers and non-believers gather. Why am I talking about fathers and sons? Because if you were Jewish in their day, your father is everything. Everything that you have in the present is attributed to your father. Everything about the past is about the fathers who have come before. And everything about the future, what will come, seemingly rests on the shoulders of sons to carry forth great legacies from the past, in the present, going forward. Or, to break the bad behavior, to stop the destruction and rebellion in a home. So when we talk about fathers and sons, the Jewish mind runs immediately to Father Abraham. Now, if you went to any kind of Christian preschool, you may have learned a song, yes? And it begins, Father Abraham. What's the next line? Had many sons. Had many what? Sons. What? Sons. Ah. And many sons. Did Father Abraham have indeed? If you're Jewish and you're in this world, you are immediately finding your identity in your relationship to Abraham. Abraham. Everything comes from Abraham. I'm not saying it's not God. Of course it's God. It's Yahweh. But it's Yahweh calling Abraham. But one of the things that's super relevant to us as we continue to move forward in this letter is remembering that Abraham himself was not a Jew. The Jews are the ones who come from Abraham. He was a Gentile. So we ask, how does this Gentile, this Chaldean, become the figurehead of all the promises that God has made to Abraham and to his offspring? Isaac's pretty cool. Jacob we love, but uh, not so cool. We follow through the ages. Moses, Elijah, David. As we go through time, we see these figurehead men who are typologically preparing the way for Jesus Christ. For us to understand who Jesus is so we can recognize him through all the promises, through all the centuries, in this one covenant of grace that began in the Garden of Eden and extends to the final day of judgment. Fathers and sons, fathers and sons represent the agency of God passing from one generation to the next. Now, I'm going to take a pastoral time out and remind us all that our ladies in the room and our daughters in the room are in this covenant, okay? So when I talk about God using fathers, I'm talking about it in a typing way, in the language of Scripture, not saying that women are less. They're not. And if anyone teaches that women are less than men in value, in function, in purpose, you send them to me. I'm proud to have two daughters. I'm proud to have a glorious wife. But the narrative dominantly passes from father to son, from father to son. there's been an argument from experience. We see the explosion of rapid fire questions that come as Paul reaches a crescendo moment in trying to remind them of the truth of the gospel. That the gospel is not about what you do for God. You don't earn justification. The one true gospel is about what God has done for us. So Paul has made the experiential appeal. He's done it by discussing four elements. Initiation, completion, persecution, and miracles. That's what we looked at last week, but let's refresh and hear it again. Verse 2, let me ask you only this, did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Holy Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Holy Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith. He's asking them, what's the basis of salvation? What you do, or trusting what Christ has done? What's the answer? Believing in Christ, trusting Christ. Putting your faith in Christ, Christ as the object of your faith. So he leaves the question, rapid fire as it is, singular in its nature, diverse in its elements, and then he interrupts his own question to remind them of an ancient truth revealed in the Bible. Just as Abraham, quote, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, Paul is teaching that merit and grace cannot be combined. They're mutually exclusive, light and dark. Where light is present, darkness cannot be. So they moves from an argument from experience in their present day to an argument from biblical history. In fact, Paul is going to, in these small verses, quote from some of the most dominant passages in a Hebrew mind from Genesis. Specifically, here in verse 6, He's demonstrating that righteousness with God has always been imputed, not imparted, and not just offered. It is imputed righteousness. Luther calls it an alien righteousness because it comes from outside you, not from within you. Paul's making the argument from biblical history, placing Abraham, yeah, that Abraham, Father Abraham, as the test case for the method of salvation. He's going to go all the way back. And essentially what he's saying is that the gospel is under fire because... You don't know and they don't know that the gospel is unchanged, that the gospel I preach to you is the one that Abraham believed. How many in our day think that salvation at a fundamental way was different in the Old Testament than it was or is in the New this is the greatest heresy of our understanding of Scripture. It's one gospel, and it remains unchanged. First promised, when? Genesis 3, verse 15. The proto Evangelion. Greg, if you're listening, that was for you. It's my Greek tutor, teacher. The first gospel, the proto first, aeongelion, evangelical, the first gospel. No sooner have Adam and Eve fallen than the promise of Christ is given. One gospel always and forever, one gospel. And so he goes all the way back to Genesis fifteen six. God has made many promises to Abraham, and Abe's believed them. And that belief, according to Genesis 15, 6, that belief in Yahweh is counted to Abe as righteousness, righteousness, salvation. Who better than God to judge? Who better than God to give what he will judge against you? It's Augustine's prayer so many centuries later. Lord God Almighty, command whatever you will, but give. What you command. Set the bar wherever you want it to be, but provide the clearance of it. For I am unable to clear that bar. Why would you return to an identity that is based on faith and works in Abraham's name when Abraham didn't add works? As a means of salvation. The problem with their understanding of the gospel then was their problem of their gospel understanding from before. They don't know the Old Testament right. And that flaw, that pharisaical human performance flaw is multiplied even today. How is Abraham righteous before God? Because of what he did? Because he trusted. Didn't trust, pay very close attention to this in Paul's writing. He's not saying Abe trusted the promise. He's saying Abe trusted the one who promised. Those are significantly different. Fathers and sons, fathers, have you broken your promises? How do your sons react? Men, do you remember broken promises from your father? Do you think he intended to crush you? In breaking his promise? Or did he just over promise? Did he promise what he couldn't deliver? Did the constraints of his ability or the pressures and situations around him squeeze him to such a degree or in such a way that he could not keep his word? Is that ever true of God? Is there a competing force that God must yield to and break his word about? So in one sense, we could say to to trust the promise is to trust God. Mm. It's not wrong, but it's not all the way right. Are you with me? Trust the promise giver. Don't just evaluate how often It's come true. Abraham believed Yahweh, and God counted it as righteousness to Abraham. That's Paul's proof that salvation is by faith alone. No sprinkled grace, no shoveled in grace. All grace, no sprinkled in merit, no shoveled in merit, no merit from us for salvation. So is salvation by faith or by works? The command of the Judaizers that the Gentiles must be circumcised is a return to a slavery, which we've talked about, but it is also a return to heresy that is less often talked about here. Theology does matter because there is a true God whom when you study, you should attribute to him only that which is true. Because he is true. Listen to Paul in verse 7. As this is unfolding, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Fathers and sons. Isn't it bloodline? It's, it's not bloodline? Jacob I loved Esau, I hated Romans 9. In fact, I don't give a lot of hot takes. Are you ready for one? Controversial hot take, perhaps. You ready? I think Galatians is the skeleton that Romans is built on. I think, based on the time and chronology of Galatians being written first... You see Paul teaching and teaching and teaching, preaching and preaching and preaching nonstop, day after day, year after year, and in that gap, his arguments have grown. Let's be very clear. They have not grown in truthfulness. They have grown in a deepening understanding and a clearer, broader, more in all the categories of more that are glorious. Romans is built. You can see changes between how he shows it in one and how he shows it in the other. He, in Galatians, is going to talk about Sarah and the son of promise, Isaac, compared to Hagar, the slave woman, and her son, Ishmael. And he'll draw that contrast. Well, years later, instead of saying, well, maybe the woman is the difference in that equation, he specifically articulates that Jacob and Esau had one and the same father-mother. So you can't say, well, Sarah and Sarai are not the same. See how He's building it, he's tying it, he's tightening it. He's not adding to the truthfulness. Galatians is fully true and trustworthy. So is Romans. Just saying you can see, I think, the development and progression of thought. In fact, what we're doing here in Galatians 3, if you want to investigate this yourself, run to Romans 4. Spend this week and next week Working your way through Romans 4, and you will see an outline in the development of this discussion. What he's saying then is that to be an heir, to be a true son of Abraham, it does not matter if you are of Jewish descent. It matters if you trust the same God he did. Not physical descendancy. The promises are tied in a physical sense only to bring us to Jesus. But in a spiritual sense, it's to bring us to Jesus. You get it? It's not the blood of men that matter. It's the blood of the God-man in which we find our life blood, our cover for sin. Abraham was a justified Gentile and he was so before he was circumcised. Romans 4. But let's saunter our way back a little bit. If circumcision comes in Genesis 17, which it does, and in Genesis 15, we see that it's the trust, the faith, the belief. That's the same Greek word in all instances in the New Testament. Faith, trust, belief. They are, in a sense, interchangeable textually. We translate them differently for nuance because we don't interact with trust, faith, and belief in exactly the same way in our language. It's one of the casualties and beauties of translation. But come back with me to Genesis 12. This is the first time Abraham and God will ever speak to each other. It's the very first. We read, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. And the story goes on. Why do we come back to this moment? Well, similarly to the error of thinking that salvation in the Old Testament is by works, which it's not, which is why Abram's the test case of faith, so too can we mess up the timeline of Abraham's faith. When did the statement in Genesis 15, 6, imputed righteousness, When did that actually happen in Abe's life? Lots of people think it happens right there in Genesis 15. That that's the moment where Abraham first believed. So he and God have been going back and forth for a long time in that view. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that it's in this conversation that Abram is justified before God counted righteous by faith in fact the author of the book of Hebrews hits this point very clearly i hope your thumbs are greased up today we're going to be flipping from text to text Hebrews 11 many call this chapter what hall of fame Or, as I used to joke with my students, the hall of faith. What's the chorus in this chapter? By faith, by faith, by faith. Maybe we should have called the church by faith instead of by grace. Wouldn't be wrong. But here's the view. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go out to a place and that he was to receive it as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Does that sound like your life? I am going out, not really sure where I'm going, but I know who is guiding me. And his word is a lamp to my feet, not a map for my GPS. we're told specifically that Abraham went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him, those are his sons, of the same promise. Isaac, son, Jacob, Isaac's son. So, Abe was father, now he's grandfather, Isaac was son, now he's father, and then we have Jacob, and guess what Jacob will become? A father. You see this pattern of fathers and sons. But the key here is that in verse 10, Abe was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder was... Solomon? Solomon? Moses? God. Who's Isaac trusting for salvation? His dad? Or his heavenly father? Who's Jacob trusting? His heavenly father. The promise comes to Abraham and it will pass through him, not according to bloodline, but according to spiritual family. Faith by faith by faith by faith from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. That is what Paul is talking about here in verse 7. It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And then we get verse 8 back in Galatians 3. And the scripture Foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, how do we know that the scripture says that he will justify the Gentiles by faith? Genesis 12, because Abraham was a Gentile. He's actually a wizard. Not kidding, he's from the Chaldeans. Read more about them in the Old Testament. And you'll go, you you picked Abe? Woo! It's a great news for us. Because if God can save Abe, I'm easier. All right, enough laughter, I'll call it. Thank you. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel ahead of time. When did he do that? Oh, he did it to Abraham when he said, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Is the gospel for the Jews only? Do we become Jewish to get in on the gospel? Do we have to be descended from Abraham? Should we be marrying the daughters of Abraham and the sons of Abraham to get in on this whole eternal life thing? An expensive bride, almost as expensive as the church for the groom of glory. It's Genesis 12 that Paul is quoting I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed the gospel is for the nations who's the gospel for who the nations the nations the nations is that a statement of civics no it's not with an eye towards government it's with an eye towards tribal identity language and culture people groups I know we've talked about it before, but it's the center of what's happening right here. The Judaizers are coming and saying, you must be Jewish. Take your faith and add to it submission and obedience to the law of God. When that's not what the law of God is for, and we know that instantly. Because the law of God is given to the people of God after They've been delivered. It's a rescued people who get the law given. Paul is laying out the argument from the Old Testament to help everyone have certainty in the truthfulness and accuracy of the gospel itself. It's always been by faith. Verse 9. So then, those who are of faith, faith in the object God. It's not any kind of faith, it's faith in God. Faith in God who speaks, faith in the covenant making, covenant keeping God. It's in Him that we trust. We don't trust trust, we don't trust sincerity. We just sang that, right? Yes. Jeremy told us about it. What's the line? The, the seed of, the sweetest what? The frame. frame of mind, the sincerity. We don't trust the purity of our trust. We don't trust anything or anyone but King Jesus, who was not born Prince Jesus. Born king, let that settle in as this Advent season approaches. Born king. Verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You should sing and dance and spin. Father Abraham had many sons, all united Christ by faith, faith in the righteous life, faith in his atoning death, faith in the power of God to deliver even such as we. But one of the things I want you to see as we continue this march through Galatians, or if you expand it devotionally in your march through Romans, what I want you to see and hear is so well captured in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question 86. What is faith in Jesus Christ? Aren't there times where your questions seem so easy to answer, but they encompass so much? This is one of the great challenges of being a Christian, being being a Christian, being a student of Scripture is that you have a hard time keeping the mustard seed size seed of the gospel small because you love what it becomes. So you gotta believe this, you gotta believe that, and you gotta believe this. I had the fun of hanging out with Jake a lot over the last few years, off and on, season in, season out. One of the great joys for me is watching the seed Take root and grow. And in that moment and what follows, he's now putting pieces together in seeing how this gospel is shaped, right? It's good. The seed is small, the glory of it beyond our perceptions. So sometimes we walk around in our evangelism and we drop boulders on people's heads, calling it a seed. Hey, Sid. <laughs> One of the great joys of a father is watching his daughter grow, not only an ability to share the gospel, but passion to see that gospel formed and focused would that all of us know that joy of growing in our willingness to do the grunt work of evangelism believing ahead of time what God will do before we see it i had the opportunity to hang out with folks early on in my university career so like 20 years ago 25 years ago and in that time, I sat in a room, and someone there said in a prayer, Heavenly Father, as we prepared to share the word in this community, would you please give us now the joy that we will have this afternoon when it's done? Evangelism seems like this giant, difficult, monster thing, and it overwhelms us, and so we stay silent. One of many reasons we might stay silent. But I caught something in that prayer that has stayed. I don't have to want to do this. But I can ask the Lord to give me the excitement ahead of time that I will have later. Later I'll have gathered questions I don't know the answers to. Isn't that one of your big fears? Oh no, what if my coworker asks me a question and I don't have a quick answer? Hallelujah. Give them what you got and tell them you'll go find it. How much more trust does that build in the reconnection? You loved them so much, you didn't want to hammer them with a hammer. You wanted to study with them and take their questions seriously. How many people in our world take other people's questions seriously? Isn't it easier to just sing cheerleading slogans and never examine anything? What is faith in Jesus Christ? I should have given Jake the answer to this in week one. And I failed to do that. Here's the answer. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon Christ alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. We're not offering the information. We're offering the Savior. Study there. Pray there for a little while. So when God speaks in scripture to us, he speaks powerfully, clearly, authoritatively. And he does so in such a way that when he speaks in scripture, we understand what is true. But also, when scripture speaks, it speaks God's words, What's the one guarantee you have every time I step into this pulpit? Where will we begin? Hey, I've got an idea. Let's think about God together. It may or may not be true. Is that what I say? This is God's word. So when Paul writes, God writes. Yes? All right. So then listen to the words of the Great Commission. All you fathers... All you sons, all you mothers and daughters, children of God, listen to who we are, who we have, as we do what he has called us to do. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, you are on your own. What? Behold, you're totally alone. Behold, you are alone Christ is with you. He promises that he is with you. This evangelistic task, this missional purpose of the church and of every believer is not done to gain from God that which we do not yet have. He has given him the most, he has given us the most he could ever give. Himself. So we live and move and breathe as he is with us. What are you scared of? That other people's derision is greater than the glory of Christ? That other people's perception of who you are or what you love is greater than the God who came and died and rose and lives with you? Does this work with you? Behold, I am with you every alternate Saturday morning. Fathers and daughters. (laughs) Behold, the risen Christ tells his church, behold, I am with you wherever you go to the very ends of the earth, you were to be fruitful and multiply and fill, now don't just fill it with people. Do fill it with people, but fill it with brothers and sisters everywhere until he returns. You want to pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and this opportunity and this remembrance. Thank you that you do not leave us alone, that we never have been and never will be alone. That no matter the moment, no matter the difficulty, no matter the doubt, the depression, the fear, you are with us. And you have done all that enables us to be with you. Lord, it is easy for us to feel isolated, insulated, irrelevant in the missional movement that you have called us to. Father, may we remember the story of the Old Testament rightly, that salvation is by grace through faith. May we remember rightly that in the New Testament, that is unchanged that we are saved by grace, not merit, not performance. May we celebrate once again that there is no such thing as performance-based Christianity. And forgive us for thinking there is. Lord, lead us to trust Christ. Lead us to believe Christ, in his testimony of himself, lead us to trust the sacred ministry of your Holy Spirit to apply in the life and heart of a believer that which Christ has secured for us ages ago. Lord, may we be men and women and children who have faith in Christ And boldly proclaim that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. And all God's people agree.